Please stand as you are able for the reading of the gospel. From Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39, I invite you to listen now for the word of God. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding. And the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swineherds saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So I talked to my friend John earlier this week, and as usual, we discussed our upcoming sermon texts. And when I told him I was preaching this passage, he encouraged me by saying, wow, that's a hard text. And then he reminded me of our New Testament professor, Dr. L.C. Waddle, and the things he said about this text while we were in college. John said, you can lighten the mood a little bit by sharing these jokes at the beginning. Uh, Dr. Waddle said this was the first time anyone had ever been served deviled ham. He used to say it was the first recorded case of swine flu. You've got to tell these jokes, John said. They're just too good. And I said, I can't do that. These jokes are bad. They're just hogwash. (laughs) 
And that's kind of what you do with texts like this one. Uh, This text has been described by scholars as eerie and bizarre. You've got to put some distance between yourself and a text like this. Put some distance between the hard truth of the story and our own lives. Tell a little joke. That always works. There are other ways also to put some distance between yourself and a text like this. Nighttime, you know, that's when the demons are most active. Have you ever noticed that? You lie down. You switch off the reading lamp. Just when you're about to fall asleep, one of them emerges from the end of the bed. He doesn't have horns. He doesn't have a gruesome face. No, he looks quite familiar to you. He's, he's the one that makes you feel insecure and worthless, like you can never do anything right. You lie there wrestling with that demon. You're going through your day slowly, noting all the things you did wrong, recounting all the conversations you had where you wondered, did I say the right thing? Did I hurt that person's feelings? No, that's not working. It's just not working. So you, you pick up your phone. You open up Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. And you can see there in that really familiar glow all your friends with their smiling faces and their successful children at some beach or mountain retreat or amusement park. They don't look like they have any insecurities or sense of worthlessness. They are sunny, funny, put-together people, these social media friends, and this is not working either. This is not making you feel better. So you swipe a couple of places over on your phone and you find your friend. You know he's up. You text him. How's it going? Great. Hey, have you heard anything about Charlie lately? And so it begins. Charlie is your mutual friend who has fallen on hard times. He's done a bit of jail time. He's slipped off into drug use. Rumors are running rampant that his wife may be getting ready to leave him filing divorce papers, you and your friend spend at least an hour texting about Charlie because, after all, you're so deeply concerned. You notice that the more you focus on Charlie and his massive problems, you're beginning to get sleepy. The demon that was crouched at the foot of your bed has slunk away, and you put your phone down and fall fast asleep. We all have a Charlie or two in our lives, you know. The person who, when you begin to wrestle with your own demons, you can always turn to and say, well, I may have a few issues, but look at that guy. Look at that guy. That guy is the one who meets Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Luke calls that shore the other side. 
the other side of the lake, and it is in every way. That's where the others lived, the Gentile pig farmers. You cannot get more opposite of Jewish sensibilities than in this place. And Jesus goes there with his disciples. And as soon as his feet hit the dry ground, he is confronted by the one everyone talks about when things seem bad. At least it's not as bad as that guy. He wears no clothes. He makes his home among the tombs, the caves that dot the mountain range right next to the sea. He's overcome frequently by forces beyond his control. He's so out of control in those moments that they try to keep him under guard and bind him with shackles and chains. But nothing can hold him. He breaks free from them. He drives himself out into the wilds. He's driven out into the wilds by these demons. In Mark's account of this story... He says the man would spend his days at the tombs howling and bruising himself with stones. This is just the way things are over there on the other side until Jesus arrives on the shore. It's clear from the beginning of this text that the demons tormenting this man are no match for Jesus. Luke has been steadily preparing us for this encounter. He describes the demon-possessed man in a kind of superhuman way. He's deranged and roving about and unable to be contained. He breaks free. He cannot be guarded. He cannot be controlled. But Jesus is calm. The frenzied demons fall at his feet. And so he asks for names. Legion comes the response. A Roman legion had anywhere from four to 6,000 soldiers in it. Legion comes the response, the ominous response, for many demons had possessed him. But already they know themselves to be defeated at the hands of this calm and determined healer. They just, at this point, want to set the terms of their surrender. They don't want to go back to the tehom, the word for abyss. They don't want to go back there. Send us into those pigs instead. Jesus calmly gives permission, and the pigs charge straight into the abyss where they are drowned. Problem solved, right? The townspeople who have been alerted by the pig farmers who now have an inventory problem rush out to the scene to find something that they surely did not think they would ever see. The other guy, the man, that guy, clothed and in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And the response from the people is not amazement or awe or belief, only fear. They were seized with a great fear, says Luke. 
When the raving man on the mountain gets healthy, everything changes. Now issues that were hidden have come to light. Now the things that we don't have to look at in ourselves because we're so busy looking at that wild man on the mountainside come to the fore. Now the one who was always the problem, that guy, is given a new vocation. Go to your people, your fear-filled people, and declare to them what God has done for you. The one who lived among the dead is now alive. The one they tried to guard and restrain is now remarkably free. The one who was wrestling with demons is now able to declare not what the demons are doing to him, but what Jesus has done for him. There is no one in that town, no one in that town, who is as close to God as he is. There's no one in that town who has better insight than that guy. It will be a big job for him because, as James Martin writes, we, we too contain legion. We'd rather not think about it, so we avoid the people on those mountainsides. David Brooks recently wrote about the new Fred Rogers documentary. I was able to see that not long ago and commend it to everyone. But in the article, he relays a story that was first told about Mr. Rogers in a profile in Esquire magazine. Once, Mr. Rogers met a 14-year-old boy whose cerebral palsy left him sometimes unable to walk or talk. Rogers, when he met him, asked the boy to pray for him. And the boy was thunderstruck. He had been the object of, he had been the object of prayers many times, but nobody had asked him to pray for another. And he said he would try since Mr. Rogers must be close to God and if Mr. Rogers liked him, he must be okay. And so the interviewer, as as, as the story is being told, complimented Rogers on very cleverly boosting the boy's self-esteem. But Rogers didn't look at the situation that way at all. He said, oh heavens no, Tom. I didn't ask for his prayers for him. I asked for me. I asked him because anyone who has gone through challenges like that must be very close to God. I asked him because I wanted his intercession. Brooks goes on to write, and here is the radicalism that infused that show that the child is closer to God than the adult, that the sick are closer than the healthy, that the poor are closer than the rich, and the marginalized closer than the celebrated. Indeed, who better to turn to? Who better to ask for prayers in battling your own demons 
than the one who knows firsthand the battle and has the joy and the humility that comes from intimacy with God through the dark night. We might be tempted to distance ourselves from this text and the self-examination it asks from us. We might be tempted to ask Jesus to leave town. Tempted to tell a little joke. Please don't. Let us linger with our Lord in this place. Let us listen to him. And let us listen to the one for whom he has done so much. And then rise up in joy and freedom to follow. Amen.